Heavenly Father, thank you for the beautiful opportunity to be here and to discover more of how beautiful your love is and your wisdom is. Help us to humble ourselves every day more that you will exalt us. Help us, O Lord, to understand and to put in practice what you have taught us in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I will start introducing myself since most of you don't know. My name is Rivalino Montenegro, and you will discover in a few minutes where I come originally from. Uh, I, <clears throat> I live in Germany, but I'm not German, as you have noticed. So, and I work in the medical field, although I'm not a medical doctor. I have a PhD in chemistry, and I develop medical devices. I've been doing that for many years, and I have worked in a few countries. Right now, my company is actually in Switzerland. I live in Germany, but as you know, Europe's quite small. You can go from one place to the other very quickly. So the reason I made this presentation, I will tell you now, and I have actually presented this a few years ago in Sweden. There was a youth congress, and they have even filmed, they have in, in, in internet this. You probably can see the same presentation in, uh, that I'm going to do now. But there is a special reason why I decided to do this presentation again. And this you will discover in the end of my presentation. So the reason why I made this presentation in the first place was one day I was walking through the streets of, of the city of Mainz. How many of you have heard about Mainz? Mainz is a very important city, Mainz. It was one of the capitals of the Holy Roman Empire of the German nations. So the Bishop of Mainz was the first guy that Martin Luther challenged with his 95 Thesis, because that was the man who was giving the orders to sell the indulgences, exactly. So I lived there. It's a beautiful city, a lot of history behind. I was walking through the cities and I saw these two ladies selling orange juice. So I wanted to buy an orange juice and I noticed they were talking a language that I could not understand. So I asked them, where are you from? And then they told me, and then they asked me, what about you? Where do you come from? And I made the mistake. I asked them, what's your guess? Where do you think I come from? And they started, oh, India. I said, no, I'm not from India. Pakistan, no. And then they went all the way North Africa after crossing the Middle East. And in the end, they said, we give up. I have no clue where you're from. And I told them, I am Brazilian. And this lady looks at me, and she says, you are not Brazilian. <laughs> But she was so serious about that that I thought I was Swedish at that moment. So she was so sure I was not Brazilian that I was like, hold on, how do you know I'm not Brazilian? And she said something that made me create this presentation. She said, I thought all Brazilians were good looking. And I was like, that is very nice. That is... That is very kind. So I decided, I decided at that time to run a DNA test. So, well, and for my surprise, she was right. I'm not Brazilian. Now I understand why I can't play football, why I can't play soccer. It was never in my genes. So as a matter of fact, 
I'm, a matter of fact, I'm only 5.9% from the American continent. And I'm actually way more African than I'm Brazilian. I have a 4%, no, 2% Kenyan genes and Nigerian genes. Now I understand why when I tried to run the marathon, I was only 2% of those guys. Because I have only the 2%. So I am actually, now I understand why my name Montenegro is. I have actually a, some percentage of the Balkan regions, you know, from Yugoslavia. So when I was like, man, the lady was right. I'm not Brazilian. And this is a very interesting point, how we all are connected today. And that's what we are going to talk about this. Okay, we are going to talk about how close connected we are. I, this, this is a tool that exists out there. You can order the kit and make the, the, the DNA test. A very interesting thing. And over, the more people does the experiment, of course, the more updated and more precise the results will be. But the reason I'm making this presentation is because if we look today at the population, and, and let's imagine, I mean, I will start stating the following. There are no different races. There is only one race. It's called human race, okay? There are different shades of color of the skin. We have different shapes of the nose and eyes. But they all belong to the same race. But let's, but of course, some people are more related to others. For example, it's much more likely that an American marries an American than an American marries an Australian, right? Probabilistically speaking, I mean, I know you married a Brazilian and I married a Lithuanian. Can you imagine how far apart it is? But we are exceptions. Most people will marry to someone nearby. So that means some people are more closely related than others, if you look at the gene pool. If we go back in time, and that's what I want, and, and imagine for a second that this here represents all the human population, all right? Some people are more closely related to that than others. We go back in time, we are getting closer and closer to each other as the population decreases, and we are going back in time, all right? Until we come to someone that we call a common ancestor, someone that connects everyone in this room. No matter if you come from the US, from Africa, from China, from Russia, it doesn't matter. No matter where you come from, we all connect to one person. And this is believed not only by us Christians, but by the scientific community. The question actually is, how many years did it take between this common ancestor and we today? How long? How long, how many years were needed for this man that connects everyone and we today with all the different shades and, and, and shapes that we have today? How long did it take? And who, and when did this man live? And this has a major impact in our faith. Okay? It has a major impact, and you will see why. So the question actually is, when did our great-great-grandfather live? The man who connects everyone today. And this is the most recent one, okay? If you go back in time, you'll find other people. But I want to know, who is the one, the last one that connects everyone today? So in 1987, there was a paper published by Ken, 
And he made some calculations and some tests, and he came up with this number. He came up with a number of 100,000 to 200,000 years ago, the common ancestor lived, the man who connects everyone today. That's the time he was living. That was the initial proposition in 1987. Of course, if you look at this number and if you look at biblical chronology, they don't match. So there is a problem here, so who is right? And as a scientist and as a Christian, I come across this very often when I'm trying to preach the gospel and some people tell me, I only believe in science. Have you ever heard this before? And I usually ask them the following question. Which science? The one from yesterday? Today? Or you're waiting for tomorrow's result? Because in 1995, another sort of examination and tests and research was done and came up with a different result. Instead of 100,000, between now 27,000 and 270,000. So apparently expanded, but at the same time there was a reduction in this minimum. In 2001, a new paper came up showing actually our most recent uh, common ancestor lived between 35,000 and 89,000 years. So what do you see here? What is, what's happening? It's getting shorter and shorter the time between we today and our common ancestor, our great-grandfather. So it's coming shorter. So that's why it's always good to ask the question, so which science you believe is the one from yesterday, from 1987, or the one from 2001? So it's a very good question because science is developing. You know, I mean, there are a lot of things that we have to study. And, and, and this is in every area of science, every single area. And if you go to an area like this, it's even more complicated. But this is in chemistry, this is in physics. So imagine Isaac Newton when he came up with his Newtonian physics. That was the answer. But then when research developed, we saw, well, it did not answer everything. So then came Einstein and many others with new findings that fine-tuned what Newton had made. So that's why science is developing constantly. Okay? So more recently, in 2004, came a paper in the very prestigious scientific journal called Nature. It's a super popular uh, journal. It's one of the top three scientific journals. And they came with a modeling of the recent common ancestry of all living humans. And I love that. This guy made a beautiful work using statistics and Monte Carlo simulation. It was a beautiful work. And he came up with a very interesting number. He found out that between 2,000 and 5,000 years lived our common ancestor. And I was looking at this guy and said, you didn't have to spend so much money. I know another paper written by a scientist called Moses, and he gives a very similar number to this one, right? So it's a beautiful thing when we look about how science is developing and coming close to what the Bible has told us. I mean, we could, we could talk today about many aspects and how science, and you know, and how science has, is proving the biblical truth. And believe me, when I became a Christian, so I was 17 years old, 
when I came to Christ. Actually, the first time I heard the word Seventh-day Adventist, I understood dentists. And I thought, what is it? It's a church only for dentists. And so I was really shocked. I was born and grew up in Brazil. It's everyone, everyone was Catholic around me. I never heard about this. And then I started reading the Bible, and every time I would come across some things in the Bible that would make me feel so bad. For example, the ages of the patriarchs. Oh, and this man lived 900 years, and this man 950 years. How many of you had problems with that? Or am I the only sinner here who had a problem? I had serious trouble with this. And I told my grandmother once, Grandma, I cannot believe in the Bible. And she told me, no worries. At that time, the year had only six months. And I was like, even if you do this, this is still 400 years, it doesn't work. So, you know, I was having serious trouble to believe in the Bible, but beautiful, the beautiful thing is as science develops, you know, I'm so glad that God allowed the crazy things to be written there. I'm very happy that God allowed the crazy numbers and dates and, and events to be written in the Bible because they were in the beginning stumbling blocks for my faith. Now they are pillars because if God allowed those things to be there and if the crazy things are true, imagine the other ones. So, what I want to take you to now is the following. Where did this family come from? Or where did this guy come from? So, we all know who is the most recent common ancestor, right? The Bible says that Noah, that God blessed Noah, and he and his children repopulate the earth. So, from this man, from this man Noah, so, and Noah lived roughly at that time that was indicated in that scientific paper. You know, and there are the studies. You can go and look for the studies and you will find all type of numbers. But you see them coming closer and closer. And I will, at the end of my presentation, I will show a few other things. Because this is a very important point here. That we all come from one family. And I will tell you, I may, in my presentation, I will be a little bit like controversial here. Some of the things that I will speak. But it's very important for us as Christians to ask ourselves if we really see the way the Bible expresses, if we are allowing culture to be more important than the Word of God. So, this text of Acts should serve to help us to create the 11th commandment, you shall not be a racist, and I will tell you why. It's a very important thing. Believe me, this is so important. In the Nazi Germany, they had not only the normal passport, they had the ancestor passport. You had to have a document that showed that your forefathers were also German. Otherwise, you would have problems. You know this, right? So you have to go back three, four generations proving that there was only German blood in your family. Otherwise, you would have problems. So, and you have to understand, uh, you, know, you know all about the Nazi Germany and all the crazy things that happened there. So, but don't think that the population of Germany was just like evil. No, there was a whole propaganda. There was a whole program that was created. Laws were created. Things were preached on the radio. And it became part of the culture. It was just part of the culture to, be, to think like that. And we are all susceptible to this. Anyone here can fall in the same mistake that the German population fell. We all. We all can fall. And I will show to you more about this. So, if you think for a moment, and I was 
for example, my neighbor, she was, she lived during the time of World War II, she's pretty old now, but I always had the opportunity to have conversations with her, and she told me she was a secretary in a company in the city of Mannheim in Germany, it's a very industrial city. And she was living there and working, and one day, after the Nazis took the power, two SS officials entered in her company and asked her, where's your boss? And she then shows into the other room where the boss was. So they opened the door, and these SS uh, soldiers told to, to her boss, we know that you are married to a Jewish woman. You have two options. You either divorce or you go to jail. I mean, if you don't love your wife, eh, that would be crazy. <laughs> this man and this neighbor told me, this man stood up and said, I don't have two options. I just have one. Take me to jail. I will not divorce my wife. And she saw this and she saw her friends being taken to the concentration camps and all the things happening in front of her eyes. But there was a whole propaganda about this. And you have to understand, laws are created. The radio is speaking about that. And one of the things was the so-called eugenics. Eugenics was a very strong movement back then. It was a scientific theory, and people believed in the idea that some races are more developed than others. You know, it was very popular among scientists to believe in eugenics, that some races develop fast, uh, faster than others. And this sort of science that today everyone calls pseudoscience, it was just all fake, but back then, that's what, what people believed. And there were books about this, many books, textbooks in the schools. And for your surprise, not only in Germany. So that's what I wanted to show you today. And how, if we allow, that's what I, I like to tell, the biggest challenge of Christianity is to make the word of God stronger than the culture. Because culture is so strong. I had... I have two friends who came to visit me in Germany. I took them to the Cathedral of Cologne. The Cathedral of Cologne is a, it's a Catholic cathedral. It's huge. It's an enormous building. To take a picture of the building, you have to go like two kilometers away because the thing is just too big. It was a Sunday morning. We came inside the building, and one of my friends had a cap, like a baseball cap. When we entered the building, the priest... The Catholic priest looked at us, and he shouted in German. And my friend spoke no German, but he understood. So the priest said, have respect for the house of God. Remove your cap. My friend did not speak any German, but he understood. <laughs> the next week, I went to a synagogue to watch a concert. It was a Sunday evening. It was a concert in the synagogue in Frankfurt. I was entering the synagogue, all of a sudden, this man stops me and asks me, where's your keep up? I said, what? What do you mean? He said, yeah, you need a cap in order to enter here. I said, I don't have one. He said, you cannot enter. When I looked to the side, there were all these people taking newspaper and making hats. <laughs> so then someone gave me one, and I entered there. with. And I was asking myself, last week, we had to remove the cap. Now we have to put the cap. So which one God likes? It's with or without? Do you understand how culture influences? 
it is very important that we understand the decisions I'm taking, the thinking, what I believe, is it based on the Bible or is it based on culture? And the people in the Nazi Germany was influenced by the eugenics movement and they really believed they were doing the right thing, was part of the culture. They were actually doing forced sterilization of people. You know about the story, right? They would sterilize some people. In England, there was a conference, the first, the first International Eugenics Congress that took place on the 24th of July, 1912, in London. Among the people who took part in the Congress, we have Winston Churchill, we have August Forel, the famous Swiss pathologist, we had Alexander Graham Bell, many famous people, some of them known like to be heroes today, they all believed that. Because that was what people were preaching back then. And this influenced so strongly even the Christianity. When Nazi Germany made the law to sterilize people, do you understand there was only one church that was against it? You know which church was against the sterilization law in Germany? The Catholic Church. And do you know why? Because the Catholic Church is against any process of avoiding children. Not because of racist. racism. Culture is so strong that in the Nazi Germany time, the Nazi time in Germany, it was written the entrance of the churches, including our church, forbidden for Jews. Can you imagine you spend the whole week hating Jews, but on Saturday you come to worship one? Isn't that paradoxical? I mean, if Jews cannot enter, Jesus would have to stay outside. Because after all, he was a Jew. So do you understand how crazy our thinking can be and can go if we let culture overcome or go over what the, the, the Bible says, one blood. We all come from the same family. Do you understand this? And I'm asking myself how often I'm letting this sort of cultural thinking dominate my faith. A few years ago, the German church, in, the, the Adventist church in Germany and Austria officially apologized for not raising their voice against the atrocities that were done against the Jews. And this was a beautiful movement. I mean, the church has recognized we have to admit that we made mistakes. We all have to admit. We all have to change. And I'm very proud of the German church to take this step and say, yes, we made a big mistake. We were thinking that it was normal. And we have to ask ourselves all the time. Okay, let's go back here to, this is Francis Galton. He was the man who created, who coined the name eugenics. He was a half-cousin of Charles Darwin, and we all know Charles Darwin was super racist. He, he said many times that white people were more developed than black people, and all things. So he comes from the fam from a family. The son of, of Charles Darwin, Leonard Darwin, was the president of the eugenics congress there, or, or movement in England. So this eugenics platform or thinking was influencing so strongly humankind at that time that they were pushing laws. And this was in Virginia. There was a Virginia, he is here in the US. In the US, they created a law to preserve racial integrity. 
So in the U.S., they were also doing this. They were sterilizing people. As a matter of fact, uh, so from this document, many laws came in the U.S. forbidding the marriage, the interracial marriages. And among the advocates of eugenics in the U.S., Joseph DeJournet, who was director of a big hospital in, in the U.S., he was pushing so hard for eugenics, for sterilization of the less fitted, for some, of people who were mentally disabled, for anything. And they were all saying, if we get rid of those people, the next generations will be better. This sort of thinking influenced Germany. Hitler thought he was doing a favor to humankind. Do you understand how crazy this is? This guy, Joseph Dejournet, he would even write poems. Look at this. This is a part of one of his poems. He says, this is the law of Mendel, and often he make it plain. The defectives will breed defectives, and the insane breed insane. Or why do we allow these people to breed back to the monkey's nest to increase our country's burdens when we should only breed the best? He would read such poems in events and call people to push laws to sterilize many. And you know what happened? The U.S. sterilized 40,000 people. And when he looked what Germany was doing, in five years, Germany sterilized 400,000. He became jealous, and he declared the Germans are beating us at our own game. This is incredible, isn't it? Do you see how crazy humankind can be? How racist, and basing the racism on science, like a pseudoscience, a fake, wrong science, but that was the data they had, and they would create and go along with all those studies, and there, was, there were textbooks. Racism can be promoted in a way, for example, in Germany, in order to promote sterilization of uh, the less fitted, that also included, for example, people who were descendants of Africans, in order to promote, there were textbooks of mathematics in Germany at that time that said, if you need one million to build up a hospital for insane people, how many houses could you build up for the population with the same money if each house costs 15,000? With this type of exercise, people start thinking, man, it's a waste of money building up hospitals for those people. Let's sterilize them. I just, come back, I just came back from Rwanda. And you all, you all know about the genocide that happened in Rwanda, 1994, when the Hutus killed the Tutsis. And do you understand that the word Hutu, I was there and I learned this, I didn't know about this. We all always had in mind the idea of different races. The word Hutu and Tutsi have to do with the social class, originally not with their race. Hutus were poor people. Tutsis were rich. Rich meant to have two cows or two goats. If you have more to eat, you are obviously stronger. When the Belgians came, 
with the idea of eugenics, they look at the Tutsis, they had more to eat, they were strong, and they said, you see, this race is better than the other race. And they started creating theories, measuring the, the shape of the nose, the, the, the diameter of the skull, and they created all type of theories and created the divisionism in the country that ended up into a genocide in 1994. It was an ugly part of, of our history, modern history. And I can tell you, it can always happen. It can always happen if we let culture be stronger than our Christianity. We have to be very careful with this. When I was there, I met this guy who is director of the school that I'm one of the sponsor. And he, he was Tutsi. He fled the country. When he came back, he met the man who killed his own mother and his little daughter. Oh, sorry, his little sister. And he told me that he met the guy and he forgave the guy. When he told me this, I started to cry. Because in my culture, my cultural background would not let me do it. To meet the man who killed my mother and forgive him. But my Christianity tells me to do so. And this man was able to do it. So when I was in Rwanda, I learned from the worst of humankind and the best. When I saw this man telling me that he forgave, I was like, Jesus, help me. I'm too far from this. I need this. I need this transformation. And I don't know if you need that. Anyway, and do you think it's over? Do you think this sort of scientific, racist thinking is over? No, it's not. Sweden only stopped sterilizing people in 1976. I'm talking about compulsory sterilization. So you have to be sterilized. It was only 1976. Sweden was the country that sterilized the most after Germany. It was Germany first, then Sweden, and then the U.S. was the third, if I'm not wrong. And just for you to have an idea how this sort of thinking is still in the minds of many famous scientists. You probably heard about James Watson, the man who won the Nobel Prize for discovering the shape of the DNA. Very famous scientist. Super racist. If you don't know about that, in 2007, he said, all social policies are based on the fact that they are Africans, intelligence is the same as ours, where, whereas all the testing says, not really. He was the director of a famous institute here, the, Spring, the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory. Very famous institute. When he said this in an interview, the institute asked him to step down. They say, hey, man, please don't say this. This is stupid. So this is not good for our institution, especially because it was at the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory that between 1910 and 1939, eugenics experiments were done in the US. A lot, and you can even read the historical documents. You can go online to their website and you can download documents that talk about all the studies that were done here in the US about the praxis or, or the use of eugenics policies. So this type of thinking is still in many minds, and it takes a long time to change. I had the, I had the privilege to study at the Max Planck Institute in Germany, and Max Planck, who was a very famous physicist, he said a beautiful thing. He said, unfortunately, science develops from funeral to funeral. So you have to wait the whole generation of scientists to die 
that the new generation comes and challenges the old thinking. So it takes time, unfortunately. In medical area, it's even worse. What's the name of that disease the navigators used to have in, in the 14th, 15th century? They were navigating and they... Scorbos? Scurvy. Thank you. This disease, soon they discovered vitamin C was the solution. The medical community took 200 years to accept. 200 years it took for the medical community to admit that it was the solution. And this happens in every field. In the field of eugenics, there was a guy in England that he was not only promoting or saying the different races, but he was also talking about the different classes. Royal families are more developed than the lower classes. And one day, he took children's, <coughs> children, he took children from the lower class in England and from the high class, and he applied an IQ test. So you know what happened? The poor children got better marks. And you know what he said? The results are wrong. The theory is right. <laughs> so, and it's, it can come to this point if you really influenced by your own wrong thinking, that you were not able to admit your mistake. So, okay, let's continue. So how different are we indeed? How different are we in fact? Like, because someone has a black skin and the other, like one has more uh, melanin in the skin, the other one less. How different are we? And I want to show you a few pictures here, okay? I will not get very, in, in a lot of details, but I will show you a few pictures. This is an American couple. They had twins. And as you know, twins have the same DNA. If you, cause a, if you committed a crime and your DNA is left there, but you have a twin brother, you can blame him. Because it would not be possible to say who was. What happened with the twins? One is black, the other one is white. The same happened in Germany a few years ago. This lady from Nigeria married to a German guy, got twins, one white and the other one black. But the best of all came from a couple in London, a Nigerian couple, black, they had a white child. <laughs> and I can tell you the following, because I imagine how surprised the father was. Ne? Oh, what a DNA test. <laughs> so they did all type of tests. The child is not albino, and he's the father and she's the mother. Do you understand that if you get your chromosome and you unwind this, it has almost two meters long, and in this huge thing that you can just wind together and put inside your cell and you can no longer see, so tiny it is, in this million, billions actually, billion spots and points of information, you just have to unclick one, you can change the color of the skin. It's incredible, huh? can change a little bit, boom, it's a different skin. At that time, they brought Brian Sykes, the most famous geneticist in England. And this is, I, I, I mean, I love this type of things. Brian Sykes came, when he saw that he did all the tests, and Brian Sykes said, well, the rules of genetics are complex, and we still don't understand what happens in many cases. But this is the same guy that if you read his papers, he will tell you what happened 200,000 years ago, and what will happen in 100,000 years from now. But he cannot explain what's happening in front of him. <laughs> so, hey, hey, 
let us, uh, would you agree to be a little bit more humble and just say you don't know? So, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So what I love this about this text, and that's the reason why I made this presentation again. I made this presentation a few years ago. I don't like much to repeat the presentations, but I had to repeat this presentation today. And the reason was, a few weeks ago, in my church, so as I said, I live in Mainz, but I, I go to a church in Darmstadt, which is a city nearby. So I had the privilege to help to start a Portuguese-speaking church. Portuguese, in case you don't know, you will have to learn in heavens because it's the angel's language. So it's a beautiful language. So the Portuguese language is a beautiful, it's a very beautiful language. So, and what happened is I was there, I met those people, so we started a Portuguese-speaking church in Darmstadt. And you know, Brazilians and Africans, they have like this service very alive. And all of a sudden, some Germans started coming to the service. And they spoke no Portuguese. We called them Auslander. So foreigners. We call all the foreigners are coming to our service now. So we started translating all our services to German. Now, if you come to our church today, the, service, the sermon will be either in Portuguese or Spanish, and there will be a translation into German. Sometimes someone can preach in German, and we translate. Anyways, there's always this exchange. We have a Sabbath school class only in German for them. And I had the privilege to preach to different people, like many, many, many different. I had, I had the privilege to preach the gospel in prisons in Brazil. I had the privilege to preach in Rwanda, in Cape Verde, in Africa, too. So I had the privilege to preach to very, very strange people, very poor, very rich, in mansions and in prisons. But then a few weeks ago, enters this man in our church, this German guy, and you could see by the tattoos which group he used to belong to. You see the number 88? You know what the number 88 stands for? Do you know that? It's the eighth letter of the alphabet. Which the, what is the eighth letter of the alphabet? H. If you have HH, it stands for high... No, don't say. But you got it, right? It's that, that guy with the little mustache. So the neo-Nazis... They use the 8-8 as a symbol to communicate to each other, to recognize each other. There are, a few other. there are a few other symbols that are pretty much used. This man enters in our church, and I was looking at him, and I see a neo-Nazi coming to a church of immigrants, usually like dark skin. And you have to understand that the color of your skin, I mean, I'll give an example. When I went to Rwanda now, my nickname was White Man, Mutsungu. I was, I was called White Man. The first time I went to Lithuania, in former Soviet Union, and then this lady looks at me, and she says, I never saw someone so black in my whole life. <laughs> so it depends a lot what you're used to see, right? I have this friend, also Brazilian. His skin is still darker than mine. He went to Mozambique for three months to work. He came there, his nickname was the German, because he was too white. So, anyways, I'm there in the church, and then comes the new neo-Nazi in my church, full of tattoos, like praising Nazis. And I see this man, and I'm preaching to him. 
was like, man, why is this guy doing it? We are not Aryans. I mean, some of us are vegetarians, right? But we are not Aryans. Like, what is he doing here? So the guys, they're sitting, watching to, to, uh, the sermon. And at the end of my sermon, I had the opportunity to talk to him. So we became friends, and he told his story. And that's the reason I made this presentation again. He grew up in a Christian, he was born in a Christian family in Germany. And you know, being born in a Christian family is not a passport for happiness, unfortunately. It happens quite often that you don't have like parents that are very, very Christian. So anyway, so he said that his parents had this traditional view of Christianity. You know that you go to the church like twice a year. Or maybe only three times in the whole life, like when you are baptized, when you marry, and when you are buried. You know, the other people. So anyway, he said that it was a very lukewarm type of Christianity. And his mother used to beat him up. And he said that he didn't want that life. And he said one day he prayed to God and said, God set me free from this. And nothing happened. So he was still being abused and... He left home. He stopped believing in God at that moment since God didn't reply to his, didn't answer his, his prayer. He went out. He went to the wilderness, so to say. Start meeting crazy guys. And he entered in the neo-Nazi scene. You know, you are losing everything you have. You have to find a scapegoat. Someone has to be blamed for your, fail, for your failure. So, there was here inside the neo-Nazi, and he became a leader of neo-Nazis in Germany. And then he's telling me this, and I'm like, oh. And then he got into a fight, and he wounded a police officer. So he had to escape from Germany, otherwise he would be arrested. After some negotiation, the legal system in Germany allowed him to come back and said, we will, we will not arrest you, there will be a judgment. We have time. So he came back, he found a job, he started working. And in his job, he met a Seventh-day Adventist. And this Seventh-day Adventist invited him to come to church. And the neo-Nazi said, I will go if you come to a meeting of my people. Would you go? I mean, I would not go. <laughs> and then you wouldn't want me there. So anyways, the Seventh-day Adventist told him, yes, I would. There's no problem. And the guy, okay, let me go first to your church then. So the neo-Nazi came to the Adventist church. And he told me, and I want you to listen to this. He told me that he went to the church and he saw all those nice people, friendly people, vegetarian people. And he's like, what's going on? What type of world is these people live, are these people living in? They don't understand the reality. And then he had an idea. You know what? In my judgment, I would tell the judge that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. <laughs> So the judge will reduce my sentence. He started coming to church every Saturday. Happy Sabbath. <laughs> he even brought a Sabbath school lesson that many Adventists don't have one. So this guy was reading the Sabbath school lesson, coming to the church every Sabbath. Happy Sabbath, brothers. <laughs> and judgment day came. He enters in the courtroom 
and half of the church was there. <laughs> the church came together. And when he stands in front of the judge, he says, Judge, I changed my life. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. <laughs> it's a bold statement, especially because nobody knows what a Seventh-day Adventist is in Germany. <laughs> we only have 30,000 Seventh-day Adventists there. It's already, I mean, here you guys have a challenge to preach. There we have a challenge already to make people know who we are. It's a big problem. And for his surprise, the judge looked at him and said, because of your decision, I will set you free from all charges. And at that moment, his shoulders went down. He looked at the judge and he converted when the judge, do you understand how beautiful it is? When the judge set him free, he converted. I was like, man, you have no idea how beautiful this picture is. And here was a man who used to be racist in the church with his new brothers and sisters in Christ from all colors, all shapes, if the judge sets you free, man, you are free from every racist thinking. May the Lord bless you guys. And don't forget, we are all from one family. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.